0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.Church, every life made different. As we're kind of getting at the tail end of the book of Galatians, I just want to recap. Um, Really, in the book of Galatians, Paul was writing to the Galatian church, um, and he he was bringing some correction. You're going to hear this in the language he uses today. Uh, but he was bringing correction to the Galatian church. Uh, they began veering from the gospel, the gospel truth that Jesus is the only way. They began incorporating uh, Judaism into their uh, worship of Jesus. And so they, they were basically saying, hey, in order to be acceptable to God, you have to accept Jesus and you have to conform to Jewish religion and, and principles and rules. And Paul was saying, uh, that is not the case. Paul was saying you have to be a believer in Jesus first and foremost. So that's the prerequisite. That is what you have to do. That's all there is to it. I said this a few weeks ago. Jesus plus anything else is not the gospel. That Jesus alone represents salvation for us. So that's kind of where we left it. Paul is working through this idea throughout his letter, but we keep coming back to this idea that the gospel is... Um, vital to our lives. It's not just peripheral. Church attendance isn't what it's all about. It's about the gospel, that Jesus came, lived his life, died a sacrificial death for lost people, and he rose again on the third day. So that's kind of where we've left it off. Uh, we'll pick it up in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. And this is what Paul says. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Now, that verse might not sound familiar to you if you're if you've been around church, uh, it might sound more familiar in the English Standard Version. It says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And, and really, the, the New Living Translation that we read really kind of outlines it. He says, Christ has truly set us free. So what he says is, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Jesus set us free from the yoke of the law, that we don't have to conform to all of the uh, all the religious principles of the Old Testament, the, the the religious law that made them acceptable to God. Now there's still moral law that we have to adhere to. That is who God is. But what He's saying is we are free from the the tenants that try to make us acceptable to God, because we can't make ourselves acceptable to God. So he said, if we're free from that, he he has set you free to live a free life. So if we're free from that, stop going back to slavery. And it's easy for us to read a verse like that and go, why would those idiots do that? Right? Why Why would they go back to slavery? If they're free, why would they be slaves? But we're no better than they are. See, he's talking about being free from the law. Um, we do the same thing. We go, yes, I've got freedom in Jesus. But, but now I'm going to make sure he loves me. I'm going to go to church every weekend. And what happens is that becomes the law for us. Well, now I'm going to earn his love because I'm going to church. It's like, no, 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 you can't earn his love, right? So what's happened? We've become a slave to the law if we're not careful. Does that mean we abandon church attendance? No. Not at all. We'll come back to that idea in a minute. But no, not at all. But it's about our motivation. So we can become slaves to the law. But more often in our context, Jesus sets us free. His atoning work on the cross has set us free from sin, from the power of sin in our lives. And what happens so many times is we go go back into slavery. We become slaves to sin. God sets us free from something that has has hung over our lives maybe it's anger or um, some sort of sexual addiction or a physical um, addiction of some kind alcohol drugs something like that God sets you free from it and then we go back to it why do people do that We, we all are prone to do that if we're not careful we all can be drawn back into slavery none of us are too good for this So what happens? Well, I really do believe the primary reason we return to slavery is that we forget what God has done for us. (laughs) We go back into our slavery because we forget what it was like to be enslaved. This isn't new to us either. Did you know that? It happened in the Old Testament. The children of Israel, they're delivered from slavery. 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They come out. They're, they're celebrating. They, they were literal slaves and they came out. They're like, man, life is good. We're going to the promised land. Milk and honey, here we come. That's what they're thinking. And they get out and they're going and they're like, man, Moses, it's really hot. Can somebody do something about this heat around here? And God gives them a cloud, right? It's a pillar of cloud to shade them. Then at night they're like, it's awful cold. Somebody needs to do something about this like there is no central air in the desert, okay? What does God do? He's a pillar of fire by night. He warms them, gives them light. Moses, we're hungry. We don't have enough food. God sends bread and meat for them to eat. And even in spite of this, they still complain and go, man, you remember how good it was in Egypt when we were slaves? Oh, maybe we should overthrow this Moses guy and go back to our slavery what happened? They forgot what slavery was really like. They forgot how good they really had it. They forgot what God had done in their lives. And we go back to slavery when we forget how good God has been in our lives. We go back to old habits. We go back to old routines. We go back to that thing because we find comfort in it for some reason. We do this over and over and over and over again. And, And if we're I'm going to take an even not so dramatic instance. I see people all the time who will come to church. They'll have an experience with God. God will do something incredible in their lives. And man, they're on fire for God and they're going to church and they're in growth track and they're a small group and they're serving and then slowly they stop. Does that mean they don't love Jesus? No. But there's not the same fire in them that they had before. There's not the same passion that they had before. My question is, well, what happened? And I think what happens is we forget all that God has done for us. We, we forget that, that feeling we had when we showed up and we're like, oh my gosh, this is who God is. We get comfortable with God. We get comfortable with our freedom. We get comfortable with that and we take it for granted. And so what happens is we idealize our past or our slavery when we believe we need more than what God is offering. See, God is offering us something and we go, well, that's great, but really I need something else. You know, what? my old life, the Israelites, they did this. You know what, man? We had plenty of food back in Egypt. Yeah, but you were slaves, right? They forgot it. They idealized it though, because they thought I need something more than what God's given me. He's given me bread. He's given me meat, but I need more. And we had more back in slavery. Over and over and over and over, we do the same thing. Married people, we go, man, that old girlfriend. Man, that old boyfriend. There's a reason you're not with them anymore. You've forgotten that, right? What's happened? You've idealized the past because you've forgotten what you've got. We do this over and over and over again, and we go back to slavery because we're idiots. Let's be honest. We're dumb. We forget how good God is. And I'm I'm being serious. One of the prayers I pray regularly is, God, never let me take for granted your goodness. Help me always remember what you saved me from. Remind me. Because I'm human and I'll forget. So God, remind me. And so Paul says this. He says, don't go back to slavery. Christ came and died, not just so you could go to heaven, but so you could live a life of freedom, of liberty, of liberty here on planet Earth. So he says, make sure you stay free. Don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. He goes on in verse 2 to say, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it to you again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, and what he's talking about is being conformed to the law, the law of Moses, He says, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. If you're you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. And if you were here last week, we talked about this, but I I wanna show you this again. In the Old Testament, there were 613 laws. 365 thou shall nots, 248 thou shalls. And what Paul is saying, and we referenced this last week, but what Paul is saying here is, if you think being moral will save you, if you think being good will save you, then it's not enough to follow the Ten Commandments. You've got to follow all 613 in order to earn the goodness of God, the favor of God. And you can't do it. None of us can. <laughs> Some of us struggle with a couple of the Ten Commandments, let alone 613 Tithing off mint from our garden is not going to make it, right? We're not going to do it. So there's no way that we can do this. And so what Moses, I mean, what, what Paul is telling the church is, if you are obeying the law of Moses, great. But if you're putting your faith in that to save you, then you're really putting faith in your own morality, your own goodness. And it's an idol, and you're going to be disappointed. Verse 5. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. So he says, but we who live by the Spirit. I've pointed this out over the last few weeks. He talks a lot about the Spirit. Have you noticed that? He talks a lot about the Spirit. And who is the Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the third person in the Trinity. He says, we're supposed to live by the Spirit. We see this language often. We're going to circle back to it. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. So this is a long sentence. Let me break it down. What he's basically saying is we wait for the righteousness God has promised us. How do we do that? We're able to do it because we live by the Spirit. We can wait patiently on what God wants to do because we're talking about the righteousness that's brought to fulfillment in us through Christ Jesus. We're able to wait on what God does because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is what allows us to wait when we don't want to wait. It's the Holy Spirit that allows us to say, God, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And God's like, nope, it's not time yet. That's how we can wait on the Lord. He says, we're waiting on God. We're getting ahead of ourselves. God's got a plan that's not our plan. So Holy Spirit allows us to wait on the righteousness that God has promised to us. And I love this because it says we eagerly wait. I'm not gonna be impatient, God. I'm ready whenever you're ready, but, but I'm waiting right here for you. Let's go. My girls, when they were younger, now my girls aren't as excited about Christmas. Like I'll get up and be like, It's 1030. They're still in bed. I'm like, will you guys please come down so we can open gifts, right? When they were little, like I had to make them stay in their rooms. Like You cannot leave your rooms. Santa will take the gifts back if you leave your rooms, right? We'd threaten them. And so they would be waiting by their door. Like, can I leave? Can I leave? And this is what I'm imagining. Like, those of us who are empowered by the Spirit to wait on the Lord, like, we're not just waiting around lazily. We're, we're ready. We're in the starting block. Like, okay, God, whenever you're ready, we're ready. Let's go. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do that. Verse 6. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. So what he says here is... Um, Observing the law does not give you a benefit in relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, it's not better to be or not to be. It's just something, it's a physical act. But what he says is, what's important is how our faith is expressed in love. I wish our world, not just Christians, especially Christians, but not just Christians could understand that what is really important in this world is not what color your skin is, not what, what, what the name is on your, um, on your voter registration card, whether you're an R or a D. None of that stuff matters at the end of the day. There's only one thing that's eternal. And it's our faith in Jesus Christ. And what that means for us on planet earth is how is that faith expressed? And what Paul says is it should be expressing itself in love. And that is a tall order, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's hard to love people. Have you met people? <laughs> Come on. God. Walmart. The pickup or drop-off line at schools. Come on now, somebody. I know there's some, there's some frustrated moms in the house that... You go to pick up your kids from school and some other mom. It's hard to love people. But what Paul says is what is important is how we express our faith and how it is expressed through love. The Amplified Bible says this. It says only faith activated and expressed and working through love. I love this only faith activated. This is what's important. It's activated and expressed and working through love. Here's one of the issues. I really believe that there are people who struggle with their faith because it's never been activated by love. So we say, God, give me faith. Help me believe. Help me have faith to move mountain. And God goes, great, I'll do that. What's going to activate that faith is when you love the people I'm telling you to love. Because you're trying to do miracles. You're trying to do the impossible. And I want to work in you through that. I want to empower you to, to see miracles happen, but you can't even love your neighbor. So why would I empower you to move a mountain when you can't even love your neighbor? What happens is our faith isn't activated because we refuse to love. Oh, I'm getting in your business now. So it's activated and it's expressed. And it's working through love. So love activates our faith. Love is the expression of our faith. Man, we see this all the time in the world we live in. How many times have you seen Christians Christians do something in our world and you cringe when you see it? I do all the time. Anybody remember Westboro Baptist Church? Oh my gosh! Oh! Oh! And they would, they would do some of the most ungodly things. And they would call them a church on the news. They would say, Westboro Baptist Church. And I wanted to go, no, 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 no. Please don't associate us with them, right? Because that's not what faith looks like. Faith is expressed in love, not hate. Faith is expressed in, in, in how we love people. That's how people see our faith. It's when we love. When we love generously. So it's expressed through love. And it's working through love. See, if we don't love people, our faith is not at work. And this is what Christ calls us to do. This is what Paul is imploring the church to do. Is set aside some of the things that don't matter and focus on the things that do matter. Our faith in Christ Jesus and how that is expressed, practically speaking, in the world we live in. It's not just something we talk about. It's something that, that is active. It's something that is expressed, and it's something that's working through us in love. Galatians 5.7 says this. You're running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. So Paul speaks very directly. If you think this is direct, just wait a second. He says, you were doing so good. You're on the right path. You're running the race well. And then he's using this analogy and he says, but somebody tripped you up. You were running a good pace. You're running a good time. But somebody has held you back. Somebody has tripped you up. And he said, it wasn't God, because God is the one who got you on that path in the first place, right? And he said, this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. See, a little bit of yeast has an impact on the entire ball of dough. And if the yeast is bad, it ruins the whole batch. So you've got to be careful about the yeast you use. And what he's saying is, the yeast that you've allowed in this bread is causing the bread to go bad. It, it's, it's not enough to go, well, it's just a little. Well, it's not that much. I used to talk to kids in my youth group all the time. Well, Pastor Mel, I mean, yeah, I'm going to a party. And I'm, I mean, I'm not getting drunk, drunk. I'm just getting a little tipsy. Right, well, first of all, it's illegal, right? You're 17, you're 16, whatever it is. You shouldn't be doing it. But But... Just saying, I'm kind of breaking the law. I'm kind of doing things that, that I know I shouldn't be doing. That's not enough. <laughs> this is, oh gosh, this was not in my notes and I shouldn't be telling this illustration, but I'm going to. This is what I did back in my youth ministry days. I used to tell kids, I would go, well, hey, what if I made you some brownies? I cooked them up, big pan, I was giving it to you. And I said, oh, by the way, my dog got in it, it might have used the bathroom in there. But it's just a little. But don't worry, it's just a little. What would you do? You'd throw the brownies out, right? Because you say these brownies are ruined because Lulu got in the brownies. Lulu. Classic Lulu, right? We wouldn't stand for that, but in our lives so many times we go, well, it's just a little. It's just a little bad teaching. Oh, there's sometimes on social media, I'll see some of the people that some of our people are sharing And I cringe, oh gosh, oh, I hope they're not listening to that person. Oh. And sometimes I'll have a conversation and go, hey, I just want to let you know. Because this is one of the reasons we uh, screen our small groups. We don't just go, yeah, you guys teach whatever you want. We go, no, 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 we want to see what you're teaching. Because we understand a little bit of bad yeast will ruin the whole batch. A little bit of bad teaching, a little bit of false doctrine will we'll ruin the whole thing. And Paul says, we can't put up with that. This is where it gets serious. Verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. So let me just start with this. He says here, hey, if I was still preaching that Jesus plus observing the religious law would save you, nobody would mess with me. But he said, I'm not because I'm preaching the true gospel and it's confronting uncomfortable truths in your lives. And that's why I'm being persecuted. And this is the thing, the Jews did the same thing, the, the Christian Jews were doing the same thing we did, do all the time. We go, I'm going to accept Christ as long as it doesn't confront any of my uncomfortable truths in my life. I'm, I'm going to accept Christ on my terms, the way I want, and um, and that's how I'm going to live. And that's how this thing is going to work. That's why I can come to church, and I can raise my hands and worship, Jesus, you're so good, and I can still do whatever I want, because... Um, Jesus is coming to me on my terms. Oh yeah, I accept Jesus as long as it's Jesus plus religious law. I accept Jesus as long as I can keep doing the stuff I want to do. I'm going to accept Jesus as long as, and we do this. And, and what Paul is saying is, if, if we're worshiping a Jesus who never calls us out or makes us uncomfortable, we're probably not worshiping the real Jesus. Jesus. We're probably worshiping some construct that we have made. So he said, hey, uh, that's why I'm being persecuted. Because I'm preaching the truth. I'm preaching the gospel. And it's making people uncomfortable. That's why they're persecuting me. And then verse 12. Verse 12. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you. He's talking about circumcision. They want you to be circumcised by circumcision, would mutilate themselves. And you will. well, they're talking about circumcision. Let me help you with this. What he's saying is, the people who are already circumcised, who want you to be circumcised, he says, I wish that they would mutilate themselves. The word for mutilate is uh, apocopto. And it means to cut off or to amputate. There are kids in the room. Do I have to spell this out for you, what he's saying? (laughs) This is how serious Paul is. This is how serious Paul's taking the gospel. This is how angry he is. Now, you and I could debate whether this is a righteous anger or not. I'm not sure it is necessarily, but that's neither here nor there at this point. What we see is Paul's heart, and he's saying, these people are pulling you from the authentic gospel, and it's making me angry because you're my kids. And this is what I want you to know. If somebody messes with my kids, I'm going to get fired up. We're going to have some issues. I might love you, but if you hate my kids, we got issues, right? Right? And Paul's saying, hey, um, if you mess with my kids, you mess with my church, you better come at me because I'm going to come at you like a spider monkey, right? That's not actually what it says in Scripture, but I'm interpreting it that way. He says, "I, I wish them harm, is what he says, because they are actively working against the gospel. Of Jesus, I told you when we started this thing that this was a different letter than any other letter he wrote to his churches. That this was corrective. It was direct. It was a little bit angry. And if you didn't believe me, I hope you believe me now. He's frustrated. And one of the things I love about this picture it paints is that as Christians, there are things we should be frustrated about. There are things we should get angry about. And Scripture makes it clear, we get, we get angry, but, but we don't sin. So there's things we should be angry about. That, that we shouldn't just be passive and neutral about everything in our world. But we have to be angry about the right things. We don't need to be angry about everything that the world and the media tells us to be angry about. But what we need to be angry about is when people are lost and they're following a false gospel... We need to be angry about that. It needs to motivate us to action. Verse 13. "For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command: "Love your neighbor as yourself. But we, uh, but if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. I mentioned this earlier, but it's impossible to say we love our neighbors when we won't even serve our neighbors. Let me get a little more personal with you. It's impossible to say we love our church if we won't serve our church. It's impossible to say we love our community if we won't serve our community. It's impossible to say I love my family if you won't serve your family. It's impossible to say I love my wife if you won't serve your wife. See, love is almost always attached to service in Scripture. If we love someone or something, we will serve that person or that thing. Verse 16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Again, he mentions the Holy Spirit here. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit wants, uh, Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of that uh, that sinful nature desires these two forces are constantly fighting each other these two things the spirit and our flesh are constantly at war within us so you are not free to carry out your good intentions that's why you do stupid things when you want to do the right thing it's because your flesh is getting in the way that's not an excuse but that's what is happening verse 18 but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. So what he's saying is, um, when the Holy Spirit is leading us and directing us, He's leading us in His power. See, sometimes we think we're going to follow Christ and we're just going to do it. I can get it done. I'm going to work really hard. And I'm just going to make it happen. No. So when it's talking about being directed by the Holy Spirit, it's, it's using this language um, like a, a horse and a cart. No one would say, hey, I've got to go get the cart and move some stuff. You would have to hook uh, the cart up to a horse because a cart without the horse is powerless, right? And what's happening is when we're directed by the Spirit, we are, we are being hooked up to the Holy Spirit. And He is the one who's empowering us. He is the one who's moving and pulling us with Him. He is directing us. He is the one who empowers us. So it's impossible for us to do what God wants us to do without the empowerment of God's Spirit in our lives. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your flesh, the results are very clear. So if I can say it this way, these are, this is the fruit of the flesh, He says, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have done before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is serious. I'm not going to speak exhaustively about all these? It says in verse 19, he starts with sexual immorality. And this is something in our world that is very casual. But what he's saying, the word that's used here is the Greek word porneia, and it's where we get the word porn or pornography. And it means any kind of sexual contact outside the marriage covenant. So he says... Any sexual contact outside the marriage covenant, looking at pornography, um, viewing it, uh, any of that kind of stuff, um, inappropriate relationships with somebody who's not our spouse, either before or after marriage. This is what he's talking about, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Lustful is not just related to uh, sexual desires, but it's talking about any selfish desires, Idolatry, this is just putting anything above Christ. Holy cow, that can happen so easily in any of our lives. Then he says some things that maybe don't seem so bad. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. That sounds like a house with uh, some teenagers in it, doesn't it? <laughs> if you've got teenagers in your house, that's, that's a Tuesday for you. Selfish ambition, dissension, division. These are things we go, well, it's not that big a deal. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sharing this about that person. I probably shouldn't be, but it's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. This is dissension. It's gossip. You're, you're, you're quarreling. This is, this is bad. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties. He says any of these things will separate us from God. It's, it doesn't matter how religious we are. It doesn't matter how much of the law we observe, how often we come to church. If these are things that are being born in our lives, if this is the fruit of the flesh. And what he's saying is we're living according to our flesh instead of according to the kingdom of God. And one of the things I want you to see all these things have in common is the sinful nature is about selfishness and often immediate desires. What do I want now? What what do I want to do? How this is how I feel. Now, one of the things we see in scripture is Paul tries to push us away from the immediate, from what we want in this moment, from our feelings. In James 4 1, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? And this word passions in the Greek, it's Hedone, and it's where we get the word hedon or hedonism. And it is just this desire to put our selfish desires first. It's me putting myself above everyone else. My selfish desire, my own pleasure, whatever I want. And this is really at the heart of what Paul's talking about. Putting ourselves first. And this is what I want you to know. We said earlier that the selfish flesh desire of my life is at war with the spirit in me that there's conflict in me, each of us. And conflict within us will lead to conflict between us. So if if I don't allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life to help conquer the desires of the flesh in my life, that, that war that's within me, that conflict within me, is going to lead to conflicts all around me. So I, I have to let the Holy Spirit submit my life to him and say, okay, Holy Spirit, do the work in me that I, don't, I can't do or I don't want to do. Root some stuff out of me that maybe I don't even know is there. Cleanse me, make me whole. Galatians 5.22 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So this is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And the reason he says there is no law against these things is because he's trying to help them see these are all things most people actually want in their lives. I don't know about you, but I've known some really difficult people. I've known some people who um, lived hard lives. And if you ask them, would you like peace in your life? Would you like more peace? If they were honest, they'd have been like, absolutely. Yes. If you ask them, hey, would you, would you like a little more goodness in your life? Yeah. Gentleness, patience, faithfulness. These are the things that show up whenever the Holy Spirit is present in our lives. See, the fruit of the Spirit is evidence of the Spirit's presence and work in us. So when those things are absent, you have to understand that means that the Holy Spirit is absent. Now, we don't judge so that we can compare and go, well, see, they're mean, I'm nice, I'm better than they are. But there's a way we judge with a righteous heart where we go, okay, hey, I love this person and there is no fruit of the Spirit resident in them. So, no matter what they say or how often they come to church, they need Jesus. Does that make sense to anybody? But what's the evidence? It's the fruit of the Spirit. This is what I want you to know. I've said this several times good works cannot redeem us, but lives that are redeemed produce good works. It's important for us once we've encountered Jesus, we've experienced the goodness of God, we've experienced his redemptive power, that that we understand that the natural byproduct, the fruit of that is going to be evident in our lives. That, That good works are going to be flowing out of us and we are going to be attracted to good works. And if we're not, that is evidence that maybe what God's doing or maybe the feeling we had is not authentically God. Maybe we just had a moment. We have to be submitted fully to God. Say, God, do the work. My work is not going to save me. But the work that you do through me is going to be evidence of what you've done, your redemptive power. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Did you notice what he said? He said, since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. If we live by the Spirit, the ESV says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And some versions say walk. Let's walk by the Spirit. And what it's saying is this Greek word stoiko, and it may be up here. Stoiko just means to proceed in a row as the march of a soldier. Go in order. Again, this is just this idea that if we're going to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, then we're going to say, Spirit, Holy Spirit, you go where you want to go, and I'm going to follow you. Wherever you lead, I will follow. Wherever it is you go, I'm going to go too, even if I'm uncomfortable, even if I don't love it, even if it costs me something. I'm going to walk with you. Because Paul, Paul just seems to imply or have this understanding that if you're part of the church, you're going to be walking with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to be an active, powerful part of your life. Some of you get uncomfortable when I start talking about the Holy Spirit. This is what I want you to know. <clears throat> this is not a pass for this weekend. Um... This fall, we're actually going to spend uh, four or five weeks walking through who the Holy Spirit is and what He wants to do in our lives and and give you an opportunity just to hear more and go deeper. But I don't want you to wait till then. So if you're new to church that that we talk about the Holy Spirit and who He is, uh, I would encourage you to be praying about it and ask God to reveal truth to you, and He will do that. This is what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. This is a great place to start if you're uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit. Start in John chapter 16. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, it's better for you that I go away. So he's preparing his disciples for when he is gone from planet earth. He says, it's better for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. Uh, Other versions say the, the comforter, the encourager, the counselor, the helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. So what he's saying is, as good as it is to have me here, it's, it's better that I go and that you get the Holy Spirit. Because there's some things he wants to do in and through your life. And this word uh, that, that's used here as advocate or comforter or encourager, uh, it's it's a Greek word, parakletos. And parakletos just means, literally, it means someone who comes alongside. So if 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 I was stumbling... And somebody came alongside me and helped me up. Kept me from stumbling. That's paracletos. That's the one who comes alongside. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Among other things. He empowers us. He equips us. He, he, he is our comforter, our counselor, our encourager. Romans chapter 12 talks a great deal about the gifts of the Spirit and how he empowers us. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 talk about, uh, Paul talks to the Corinthian church about the, the gifts of the Spirit and who he is and what he wants to do in them and why he's important. This is what I want you to know. The gifts of the Spirit are so important in our lives, not just in a corporate worship gathering, but as individuals. Because I want you to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, not just in a corporate worship gathering, I want you to experience the power of the Holy Spirit while you're driving to work on Monday. I want you to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your normal everyday life. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14.1, he said, hey, um, pursue love, like make this the highest goal, but earnestly desire spiritual gifts. You you need to do this, is what he's saying. And he says, especially prophecy. Especially prophecy. And this is my challenge to you guys. All the things we're talking about. Staying on task with the gospel. Living a life of freedom. uh, Living a life um, that, that the fruit of the Spirit are evident in our lives. It is so much easier to do when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the life that Jesus wants us to live. But the gifts of the Spirit cannot abide long in an environment absent the fruit of the Spirit. I've been part of churches that the gifts of the Spirit seemed to be at work. But there wasn't a lot of the fruit of the Spirit around. And I, I told our church when I first came, Back in 2014, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe God wants to move powerfully. I believe that God still wants signs and wonders to occur in our church, in our country, in our land today. But not at the expense of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit helps pave the way for the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit helps unbelievers understand that the gifts of the Spirit are legitimate. Because part of the problem is whenever people see the gifts of the Spirit at work, but it's being propagated by people who, who seem to be operating in the flesh, people go, something's not right about this. But when the gifts of the Spirit are at work in our church, in our relationships, in our individual lives, and the fruit of the Spirit is evident as well, there's something attractive about it. People, unbelievers will go, I don't know what's going on, but there's something about it. So I want to encourage you for a couple of things. Number one, I want you to examine your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there are things that you have deviated from, things that maybe you have pulled away from the authentic gospel, ask the Holy Spirit to show you that. And then the last thing is, if you've never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, um, we believe that the Holy Spirit is present with you in salvation, that the Holy Spirit is the one who draws us to Christ, um, but there is there is a subsequent subsequent work after salvation that the Holy Spirit baptizes us, for lack of a better word, that we have an encounter with the Holy Spirit and he empowers us to live the life he wants us to live. And if you've never experienced that, um, I promise it's not weird, it's not freaky. Um, God wants to work in you. If that's something you're interested in, I want to give you that opportunity as we close out in just a moment. So, So I want to give you that chance. But before I do anything else, I want to, turn it over to our hosts in Blairsville, and they're going to close out the rest of this message. They're going to give you guys an opportunity to respond. But I want you to know, I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great weekend. So for those of you here in the room, those of you watching online, um, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes. all this place. God, thank you. Thank you for a relationship. Thank you that we can know you. And God, thank you that your desire is not that just we go to heaven. But Lord, you want us to live a life here on planet Earth that's free, that's empowered, that's full of the fruit of the Spirit. So Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with just a religious experience. We wouldn't be satisfied just going to church. We wouldn't be satisfied just going through the motions. But Lord, give us an authentic desire for more of you. And God, start with me. God, remind us of your goodness. Remind us how powerful you are, what you've saved us from. Remind us so that our hearts don't grow cold, so that we don't drift from the gospel. Remind us every day. I pray, the Lord, that you'd give us a, a greater desire, a greater passion for you like never before. And I pray as you do, Lord, it would impact the people around us. It would impact our workplaces, our families, our neighbors, our friends. God, I pray that you would drive out the fear we have of looking weird. Drive out the fear we have of, of public acceptance. And God, I pray that our primary desire would be to, to please you. So God, I pray that for those that are here, those that are watching online that don't know you, let today be the day that we surrender it all. I pray for those that are here that that maybe they're curious about who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in our lives. I, I pray that today would be the day that they would say yes to more of you to experiencing your power and the fullness of your spirit in their lives. So God, minister in us right now. Speak into us right now. I pray for those that are here that are a little nervous right now. I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring comfort and peace. I pray that you draw us to you. Now with nobody looking around, your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you would tell me, Mel, I recognize I'm not really serving God. I'm not really in relationship with Jesus. It's not really an authentic gospel. It's maybe something I've created myself, but I know I need to be in relationship with Christ. I want that freedom that you've talked about. I want that authentic relationship that you talked about. I want to be included in this final prayer to to surrender my life to Christ. Would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, pray for me. I want to surrender my life to Christ today. Yeah, thank you. On my left, I see you. Anyone else? Say, Mel, pray for me. I want to be included in this final prayer. I'd like everybody in the place, whether you raised your hand or not, to pray this prayer with me. And maybe you're praying this prayer for the first time, or maybe you're praying it as a prayer of rededication. I just want you to to pray this prayer with me out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving Jesus, your only son, to pay the penalty for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, I repent of my sin and I turn to you. Be my Lord and be my Savior for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, uh, we would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. And so, whether you've prayed that prayer before and you're praying it as a prayer of rededication, let us know because we want to help you. Um, so, take the card out of the seat back in front of you and then take it over to our info center. And they're going to help you take the next step. If you're watching online or you're here in the room and you prefer this, you can simply text uh, the word summit pa" to the number nine four zero zero zero, And we're going to help you take the next step in your faith journey. Uh, so thank you for responding. Here's what's going to happen now. Our prayer team, some of our staff are going to join me here at the front of this room. And uh, we'll be here to pray with you no matter what your prayer need may be. And so I want to encourage you as we're dismissed in just a moment, make your way forward, find one of our team, let them pray with you. but but maybe you're here and you are curious about this Holy Spirit thing, we're ready. We wanna pray with you, we wanna agree with you. So no matter what your need is, um, we'd love to pray with you, but especially if you're interested in pursuing the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we would love to pray with you, it'd be our honor. So please join us here in just a moment as we're dismissed. So I'm gonna pray for you, and while I do, our team is gonna join me up here at the front. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done in this place. Thank you for people who, who hearts have been changed and whose lives have been submitted to you. Lord, thank you that people's lives have been made different for your glory. So Lord, I pray as we leave here, God, we would be empowered, that we would experience more of you, and that we would carry your goodness, your kindness, and the fruit of the Spirit with us everywhere we go, that it would be evident, intangible to the people we come into contact with. And Lord, I pray that the fruit that people see would be attractive to them, that they would be drawn to the gospel because of what they see in our lives. So Lord, have your way with us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to to do whatever you want in our lives this week. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you for what you're going to do. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. Have a great week.